Attention Patriots, this is the Chris Ann Hall Show. Who's going to stand up? Where are the lovers of liberty? I think that's absurd. It's ridiculous. It's unconstitutional. It's out of control. You think this is over? This isn't over. There's a liberty wave coming. I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America, to the republic for which it stands, one nation, under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice. Rise and shine, liberty-loving patriots. Welcome to the Chris Ann Hall Daily Journal. Chris Ann Hall here, K-R-I-S-A-N-N-E-H-A-L-L.com, where we are liberty over security, principle over party, and truth over your favorite personality. Welcome to the show, my husband and co-host, J.C. Hall. Woo! The crowd goes wild. So sorry we missed you yesterday. We had a, a family day yesterday, so we are back on the air today and happy to be with you. Some uh, great experiences in New York City with some of the very nicest people. We always meet nice people when we go to New York. Yep. And uh, as you've mentioned before on the show, we have some of our most passionate patriots in the state of New York. Right. Because oppression... I think actually breeds a dearness to liberty itself. You're not going to fight for something that you think you you have. Yeah. Or you're not going to fight for something you think somebody else is going to fight for for you, right? I think that's probably a lot of our our problem here in America. We think other people are doing the fighting for us. We covered last week on the show, JC, this story about Facebook purging. Uh, banning Alex Jones, other extremist figures they called. You have Laura Loomer, and uh, I don't remember the other names, but they are banning them because they said they are dangerous or they promote dangerous ideologies or something like that. Yeah. But there's no violence on their pages, none whatsoever. And uh, we even we you actually even read the Facebook policy over the air. So if you want to hear the in-depth coverage of that, go to the Chris go to chrisanhall.com, go to the radio show archives, and find the one where we talk about the Facebook purge. We get into that in detail. But as a result of that show, one of our listeners, a member of Liberty First Brigade, Mark Thomas Mackey contacted me over Facebook, he actually filed a complaint against the Antifa United uh, Facebook page. And he got a very strange response from Facebook. Strange? Well, considering their policy and their activity towards their policy, right? He he got a lie, you mean? Yeah, yeah, because that's what we talked about, their lies. Okay. So it says, thank you for your report. You did the right thing by letting us know about this. We looked over the page you reported and thought, and though it doesn't go against our specific community standards, we understand that the page or something shared on it may still be offensive to you and to others. No one should have to see posts they consider hateful on Facebook. So we want to help you avoid things like this in the future. 
if you want to look at something specific on this uh, on this or another page, you can report the exact content, send us a photo, instead of the entire page. And it goes on to say, but it's interesting that they say uh, there's nothing that violates our policies. Mm-hmm. But there was nothing that violated their policies on Alex Jones's page. Right. No, it was it was things external to Facebook content. Nothing that violated yeah. uh, Facebook's policies on Laura Loomer's page. So here they pretend like it it has to do with content. Right. Where with those the folks that they banned, it had nothing to do with the content up on their Facebook page. Oh, and then they it talk was about outside right. action and, and other things. Let's talk about the Antifa outside action. Journalists describe police not intervening while Antifa assaulted them, mm-hmm. right? We have Antifa, uh, alleged Antifa plot for armed conflict at the border, which was uncovered by the FBI. Mm-hmm. I mean, this is not a Facebook complaint. This is not somebody alleging anything. This is the FBI saying, okay, we have problems. How about this? We as have, much as you can believe the FBI. Right, as much as you can believe the FBI. That was another podcast. But the, yeah, <laughs> right. Well, uh, it's going to be this one a little bit too as well. But listen, JC, now we have politicians backing Antifa. We have Joe Biden started his presidential campaign by uh, praising Antifa. All the while, there's an actual federal indictment which was charging individuals of Antifa with starting fires, property destruction, and physical violence that erupted in the streets as uh, President Donald Trump was uh, taking his oath of office. So you have people who don't like what, according to Facebook, their standard is, it's okay if you don't like them, but we're not going to ban them just because you don't like what they have to say. Right. But now, if, if they're on the left. But now, what we have is this group who's organized to be violent, who has been in criminally indicted for violence, and their Facebook page is okay. Just more proof of our show, Facebook's Purge, is all about lies. Yeah. No, Washington Post. Says they pr- use violence to promote their agenda. CNN yeah, says even Washington they, Post says they do. They use violence. Uh, one of them told CNN, "You know, we cover our faces so we can do what we need to do, whether it's illegal or not. Meaning, what they do, mm-hmm. e- even if what they do is illegal. So they're hiding themselves so they can get away with that. So they themselves profess, we engage in illegal activity, we engage in violence, we use violence." So, it, the, the, so it's the a double, one article it's, I read. It's I think was standard. CNN said the guy was proud to be involved sure. in a group yep. that changed the world through violence. But the leftists defend it. If you look at Chris Cuomo's statement about it, so they're they're so the reasoning is, as Chris Cuomo said on uh, CNN, that uh, punches two punches are not equal. Okay, so if you're beating. If you're beating up a bigot, so they said if you're fighting a bigot. Oh, I thought he meant one punch doesn't hurt as much as another. No. <laughs> so if no, I smack you one, in the face and it doesn't hurt too much, it's no, okay. No, ju- a punch <laughs> is not bad just because it's a punch. Right. Which, okay, I agree with that. And he said if you're fighting a bigot, if you punch a bigot. And now he says this is not 
this is not the legal standard. This is a moral argument he's making. So if you're fighting a bigot, then it's okay to use violence. All right? So that's where the problem starts. Mm-hmm. Facebook and Chris Cuomo and Joe Biden and all of these leftists, they define a bigot essentially as political speech with which they don't agree. So, right. I mean, anything that's not leftist to them is hate and bigotry. Mm-hmm. Therefore, according to the reasoning of Chris Cuomo, Joe Biden, and the college professor from University of California, um, it's okay to beat you up if you're not a leftist. You know, I was talking to our friend Victor today, and and he had me positing some legal arguments about suing Facebook. And it's interesting, the, the point that he brought up, and we talked about this, we agreed that maybe this isn't, this isn't what we should do, but there's definitely a legal argument. And his, his argument was, the cake baker in Oregon can't discriminate and not bake a cake without being destroyed. The cake baker in Colorado can't discriminate without being attacked, right? So because we have anti-discrimination laws, how is it that people cannot, cannot sue Facebook for uh, violating anti-discrimination laws? Because the cake baker's a private business, yeah, the both cake bakers are private businesses. Uh, you know, they, there's anti-discrimination laws against just about every uh, private business. Why can't Facebook be considered a private business just like the cake baker and be sued for anti-discrimination laws? Well, legally speaking, it boils down to this, in case everybody, anybody's wondering. Uh, the anti-discrimination laws come from the Civil Rights Act, which impose standards on places of public accommodation. And what that does is it creates this, this quasi-governmental standard for private businesses simply because you open your door and your products for sale to the public. So these anti uh, these anti discrimination laws for public businesses of public accommodation cr- create a, a a gray status between private and and government. So what they're really saying is because you serve the public with your private business and your private product, you can, you are now held to governmental standards of anti discrimination. Well, legally speaking. The internet has not been legally determined to be a place of public accommodation. And therefore, websites and that sort of thing are not considered places of public accommodation. And so in order for a lawsuit to be successful against Facebook like this, they would have to then prove that, number one, the internet is a place of public accommodation. Number two that Facebook is a business of public accommodation and then then is the subject to this this quasi-governmental standard even though we're a private business. Which both of those seem pretty straightforward to me. The answer is yes and yes. Yeah, you know, absolutely. I, mean, I don't think that'd be hard to prove. No, but that's, that's the whole point. Uh, that is not something that I advocate. As a matter of right. fact, I believe that we should abandon le- these yeah, public accommodations. from a legal point of view. Yes, from a legal point of view, that is the specific legal argument that must and can logically be made. 
But remember, when we make that argument and the court bangs their gavel, we must accept the fact now that we are actually asking for government, more government regulation of internet, more government regulation of our speech, when in reality we should, should be pushing back and saying, you know what, the cake baker, even though they open their door to public for their services, doesn't make them a government entity. Yeah. I had somebody on Facebook tell me yesterday, Yesterday. Well, if you are on the stock market, you are a public business, therefore you are subject to governmental standards. And I think this is a, a big problem that we have in America today, this this inability, inability, to, inability to distinguish <laughs> to between what is government and what is private business. Liberty's lobbyist Chris Ann Hall has now taken control. Welcome back to the Chris Ann Hall Daily Journal. You know what I just realized, JC? We just had a picture of a t-shirt with an AR on it. Okay. Does that mean we are now promoting violence? Actually, you have a t-shirt on that promotes violence. It absolutely does. It absolutely I just realized looking at that. That's our friend the bearded black cowboy his his 3D martial arts and self-defense uh business and he has a t-shirt that he sent us. And on the back it says, do you remember what it says? It says, the best defense against evil people is good people skilled at violence. Yeah. And it's the <laughs> so, same. So it's the same. Mm -hmm. First off, it's self-defense. Right. Right. Defense is what it's talking about. Uh, so it's, it's a similar argument to what Chris Cuomo was making, which right. I, don't, I do not disagree with his premise that all punches are not equal. No, because somebody's trying to rob me and I punch yeah. them in the face. He's absolutely correct. They deserve and, it. <laughs> but it's a matter of, and so he says where it's justified is against uh, bigots. Now, I don't necessarily agree with that part. Right, but right, right. if you accepted, okay, I mean, he's basically saying because it's a bad person, then, then they deserve to get beat up. That's the part right. I don't agree with. Um, because bad is subjective. Because that's not so about self-defense, right. and that's where right. that's where these lefties go. Mm -hmm. uh, that's what we talked about, kind of the you know the coloring book snowflakes, right. is that that's how they see self-defense. So someone says a word and it hurts your feelings, then in their ideology, you are justified to commit violence against them. And so that's that's what we're dealing with. Like, can I wanted I wanted to just. I wanted to disagree with you ever so slightly mm -hmm. in what you said, suffering from the inability to distinguish between government and private. Mm -hmm. That that implies to me that there is a desire to make that distinction, and I don't think there is. So I don't think we're suffering from that directly. Mm -hmm. um, the problem is it's it's uh, it is seeking a justification to shut people down. With whom you disagree, right. and it just so happens that that if we blur that distinction, then we can do that, right? right? So right. it's not quite 
disagree with me totally, but right, no, 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 I just totally Just in the agree. sense of how that approach is going, I, and so I think it's the same thing. It gets to the root of that thought process where we. Th- this reveals their moral framework. Okay, so we in our moral framework of liberty, right? You have the liberty to do whatever you want with whatever is yours, as long as you don't harm another. That's that's our moral uh, stance. That's our, our our moral view of liberty. Okay. They don't have that same view. So, right. like I said, you, we, we wouldn't see. Okay, if you said something to me, no matter how inflammatory, no matter how right. how insulting, how mm-hmm. bad, whatever, it's a word. It's just you saying your word. You're entitled to your opinion, and we would rather do battle uh, in the in the uh, on the battlefield of ideas. Right. Since they want to arm government instead, or themselves, or, or they'll or do them, it themselves. Literally themselves. They're yeah. they're not willing to argue in the arena of ideas to fight in the arena of ideas. If your i if they don't like your ideas, then they in their moral worldview, as Cuomo states, then they feel it's morally justified then to attack you, harm you, kill you, destroy your property, whatever. So that that is why, and they hate they hate you pointing this out, the leftist ideology is inherently violent. Yes. It is at the core of their worldview. Right. Well, I got a special request to cover a current event, JC, and so I want to get into that right away. There's, uh, and I know you scour the news quite regularly, so this is no... Uh, mystery to you, but we have Nadler, we have the judicial, uh, the House Judiciary Committee, we have the House Oversight Committee, all claiming that um, William Barr ought to be removed from office, that Donald Trump ought to be impeached for obstructing the and and refusing to overturn Donald Trump's six years of Donald Trump's taxes to to Congress. So the House Democrats demand six years of Trump's tax returns from the IRS. The IRS is refusing to hand them over. William Barr is refusing to make the IRS hand them over. And the Democrats in Congress are all screaming that this is their this is their right to uh, in a constitutionally authorized duty of oversight. Mm-hmm. And I want to talk about that oversight duty today. Does it exist? Where does it exist? If it exists, how does it exist? And what is the authority of Congress in this claim to want to have Donald Trump's taxes? So when we get back from the break, we're going to get into these details. As arrogant men tear up our Constitution And from every direction we cry can't learn the easy way, you'll learn the hard way. Chris Ann Hall, she's Liberty's lobbyist. So, JC, the House Democrats claim that they have a constitutional authority that exists in the Congress's duty of oversight to have six years of Donald Trump's tax returns. And so what I wanted to do is address this idea that there's some kind of uh, constitutional congressional oversight over the President of the United States. And I have up here on YouTube, as you can see, 
Article 2, Section 1, Clause 5, which establishes the standard for the President of the United States to hold office. And number one, they must be a natural-born citizen. Number two, they must be 35, at least 35 years old. And number three, they must be a resident within the United States for 14 years. So you can be a natural-born citizen, you can be 35 years old, but if you haven't actually lived within the United States 14 years prior to your uh, running for office, you are not eligible for office. Mm -hmm. There is nothing in the eligibility requirement for the President of the United States to provide financial documents. Right. There are absolutely no financial requirements whatsoever to be a President of the United States. Right. So demanding tax returns is not a constitutional authority because it's not a qualification for the office of the President. Mm-hmm. But what I do find interesting here, JC, is that the qualification for president of the United States to be a natural born citizen, to be 35 years old or older, would give Congress the constitutional authority to demand a president's birth certificate. (laughs) Right. Right? Yeah. Not only to demand his birth certificate, but to engage in a constitutionally authorized deep scrutiny of the veracity of that birth certificate it, when they would they do Ooh, the, birth or the birth alarms are going off okay. but I'm, I'm just pointing out something yeah here. yeah yeah hypocrisy well, let me go back to the no, it's authority no you're yeah. th- let me go back a good question about the framework that you're okay. suggesting um in any any sort of oversight and sort of checking these mm-hmm. things and ensuring these things is that they do that as representatives of the states because Congress is not the boss of of the president. Yes, They're, right. They, they don't oversee the executive branch. I mean, no, they do not. Okay, they are not because it bosses. seems a bizarre thing. They say our our oversight. Your oversight right. of what? Right, and that's part uh, of what I'm. You're not I'm the showing. boss of the president. Right, Article that, One is not the states. So yeah, th- so they would be able to check these constitutional things as representatives of the states. Well, is not exactly. kind of, how, I mean, how would that Well, work? from from this aspect, from a natural-born citizen, 35 I mean. years or older, or 14 years resident, that would be something that Congress could actually uh, subpoena because it is up to the House of Representatives to impeach. And so because... So in a process of impe- impeachment. Well, if in, they had, in the if they inve- felt they had grounds, no, in the investigation for for, for impeachment, for impeachment. So you don't even have to actually have articles of impeachment. You would answer the complaint of the people, or the complaint of the states, and say, okay, this specific qualification of the president is not being met in this person. Sure. So we want to verify that this particular qualification that is required by Article 2, Section 1, Clause 5 is being met. And so in that, they could request birth certificate. Gotcha. They could request residency proof, right? Because these are the three criteria for being president of the United States. Okay, so then by that, along that line of reasoning, so then... A, a an instance where they could justifiably demand tax returns 
is if a crime was being alleged yes. of some sort of federal tax crime. Absolutely, absolutely. And they're moving, so, to, they're, and they're in an impeachment investigation. And that would have been point number two. Okay. So you, you are thinking along the proper lines. So it either must be a qualification of the president that is not, that is allegedly not being met, or there must be an allegation of a crime. Short of there being an allegation of a crime, tax financial documentation cannot be subpoenaed by Congress. As a matter of fact, that's the point that the director of the IRS is making. He says, look, th these, are, these documents are just as private for the president as they are for you. And if you can't show me, an al if you can't bring me an allegation of criminal charges that, that actually, you know, like a warrant mm -hmm. that, that gives a probable cause to have these for an investigation, then I'm not giving them to you. And just as an aside or not sort of aside, but in specifically having business interest in a foreign nation with whom we're not at war or, you know, short of being some designated terrorist, that's not a crime. That is not a crime. So if somebody's, which I think, so this is what I think. Mm -hmm. I think Trump has business interest with Russian Russians, entities. Of course, okay? of course. And now with all this hype and nonsense, he probably, because he has changed his mind, he said he would release them, and now he says he doesn't. The only thing that's different is this Russia nonsense. Right. So he knows, you know, this is how, that's what they're going to use it for. So that's what I think. But that's not a crime. It's like, I think crime. it's no big deal. But, you know, so many American people are so stupid that they would follow along this, you know, whole so Russia you know what? nonsense. How many and that's business... just me talking. I right. don't know this. That's my Does anybody theory. know the depth of the business relationships that Nancy Pelosi and Dianne Feinstein and their family members hold? There are tons of... Congressmen um, being billionaires. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There you are know? tons of Americans that have business interests in Russia. Well, and, and tons of people who are in government yeah. with these kinds of personal business Remember, affairs. I shared the video, the McDonald's. Like, we celebrated McDonald's oh, yeah. being right. in Moscow in 1990 or 91, shortly after the wall fell. And so... You know, anyway, there's been business interests with Russia for a long time, but they, they've made this thing of, oh, Trump wanted to build a hotel in Moscow. And it's like some espionage. Before he was president. Yeah, it's like some espionage thing. It's just retarded. But, like so that's Trump, my theory. That's like Donald mean. Trump had to become president of the United States to build a hotel yeah. in Moscow. As a matter of fact, he probably was closer to building a hotel in Moscow before he came president than, than yeah. right now. The, no the relationship no was detrimental yeah. to his business. No question. No question. So, no, I think, well, uh, you know, and this is get, get off, sort of off your, the main point, but as far as hypothesizing, uh, it goes back to, well, along what you're saying, it goes back mm -hmm. to, I forget who's, who said it. I guess uh, uh, the uh, Munchen or however you mm -hmm. say his name yeah. uh, said basically you want it for political purposes. Mm -hmm. And I think that's right. So if there was stuff about Russia, he, Russian business interests, right, which is not illegal, but they, they try to make hay with it. Right. Another thing is they, you know, trying to allege, oh, well, he hasn't paid taxes. He, he claimed uh, like almost a billion dollar business loss, which is a then gives you a legal deduction under your mm -hmm. your LLC, your escort, your whatever right. for your personal taxes. There's nothing illegal about that, but they would try to make it a thing. Oh, look at this guy and he doesn't even pay taxes. And then the other thing, how much he gives to charity, whether he does or not. So none of these things are illegal. So again, 
the the secretary is right in saying it's for political purpose. And when you say it's, you know, the only justifiable reason is is some sort of alleged criminal activity. None of these things are criminal that they're even suggested suggesting uh, his tax returns could reveal. So I think I I 100 percent agree with what the secretary said. The Treasury Secretary said in that uh, doing this for political reasons, no matter how many presidents have released whatever of their well, own accord, this is not justifiable. Right. Well, and that's the point. OK, so number one, they're they're really, really harping up this this idea of Congress has a constitutional authority to have oversight over the president of the United States. That simply does not exist. It's like you said, and I think it violates separation of powers absent some allegation of illegal activity. And it's just like you said, Congress is not the boss of the president. And if anybody's the boss of the president, it's the states, which would put the Senate before the House, right? Okay, and then even in that case, all right, the states... Even the states couldn't just make stuff up no, okay, and no. say, "Okay, you're our employer. You're, right. you're our employee. We need financial information." No. Okay, states then put a constitutional amendment right. forward that makes this part of the requirements. This is not part of the requirements. Yeah. So this is again, Congress does not have any magical congressional oversight. There is absolutely nothing in the Constitution. Although I'm sure some federal supremacist or judicial supremacist can to uh, bring up some, there's a statute somewhere that, where Congress makes itself the boss of the president. Right. Well, and <laughs> and you know that's exactly where step number three comes in, JC. So step number one. There's nothing in the Constitution. Step number two, short of a criminal allegation, there's no there's no com- there's no way to compel the there's Treasury no or the IRS to to send that over, right? Uh, but here's number three: how Congress alleges oversight is because we operate in a post-constitutional, unconstitutional society. So remember what we have is Congress continually delegating their authority to the president. Sloughing off war powers, sloughing off treaties, sloughing off deals, whatever. In these congressional acts, the Refugee Act, War Powers Act, all these financial, these national security acts, they always leave a string to pull. We are, uh, we are delegating this authority to Congress, but we are maintaining a, a oversight over the president in this authority. So now what they're trying to do is claim that they have a general oversight authority because they've created unconstitutional acts that create an authority that doesn't constitutionally exist. Right. It's funny you mentioned the federal supremacist viewpoint. So they they do point to a 1924 law that Mm -hmm. Congress passed and said Congress has the power to get anybody's tax returns. And it's funny because it it stemmed (laughs) from it basically Congress giving itself executive powers because they said, well, the president is the boss over Treasury and IRS. Right. Because it's in the executive branch. So therefore, he can get people's tax returns. We want that. And the the reasoning went, we want that power, too. So we're going to write a law for ourselves and we give ourselves that power. And this is that 1924 law they point to and say, well, he has to do it because Congress gave themselves the power that the president has. Oh, well, and and that's always the federal supremacist argument. Congress says so. Therefore, it is. 
Welcome back to the Chris Ann Hall Daily Journal. Chris Ann Hall, here's our last segment. JC, we're talking about this tax thing, and I just want to repeat in, in summary here, Congress does not have a general oversight authority over the president, regardless of what act they've enacted to say that they do. That is a clear violation of powers. Now, they have an equal co, they have a co-equal uh, check and balance power, right. but that is only... Those are specific Those powers, are specific, specific yeah. Check and balance is specific to maintaining the security of separation of power. Yeah. So they can prevent the president from exercising their power, which is ironic yeah, because this general, all stems from the fact that they're giving the president And it's their not power. some general idea, some general sort of, you know, esoteric yeah. amorphous thing you make up. When you talk about checks and balances, those are, spe- those are specific things. Mm-hmm. The power of impeachment, right. the power of veto. I mean, these are certain, certain things, not just an idea. Well, we just, we get to make up whatever we can make up mm-hmm. to go against the president. Well, what's ironic, JC, or is that versa. Congress does not have a legal or constitutional authority to engage in oversight, general oversight of the president. Absent an amendment to the Constitution, which changes the qualifications for the president, absent a criminal uh, allegation, there is no authority. However, where do where does Congress actually have oversight authority? In the judiciary, mm-hmm. Congress actually possesses oversight over the judiciary. The one place they refuse to exercise no, oversight, yeah. right? Well, it's funny. I, thinking back to the 1924 law that they point to, which you're reminding me of when you brought this up, it stemmed from uh, an abuse. I forget which president, but but apparently the president was abusing that power. OK, so rather than Congress saying, wait a minute, tax information, that's people pers- people's personal information. The president shouldn't be looking into that. Nobody should have that right. What did they do? They said, wait a minute. The Congress is getting people's tax returns. That's terrible. President. The president is doing that. That's terrible. We should have the power to do that, too. Well, the interesting <laughs> so thing is... So rather than limit it, yeah. they expanded it. JC, the president of the United States doesn't constitutionally, legally uh, have authorization to get your yeah, tax true. returns either, but, absent right, a warrant. Right, right. I mean, that's what the Fourth but Amendment is in, all about. In their reasoning, they said, well, he's he's the boss of executive, therefore he's the boss of Treasury and IRS, and so he can look at whatever he wants to look at. I mean, so they were kind of, even in their reasoning back then, you know, well, he's the, he really wasn't the president. He's the king, mm-hmm. you know, in his sphere over there, and like he could do whatever. So, so we want to do it, too. That's crazy. So Article 2, Section 2, Clauses 2 and 3 establish that the judiciary is nominated by the president and appointed by the Senate. And then Article 3, Section 1 says that every judge serves at good behavior and is compensated through Congress. Mm-hmm. So you have three avenues for oversight now for the judiciary, the president should have oversight over who he's nominated to make sure they're engaging in good behavior. The Senate has oversight over the judiciary 
to make sure they're engaging in good behavior. And Congress, the House of Representatives, would have oversight over the judiciary to ensure that they're engaging in good behavior because any example of good behavior would at least bring about an investigation, which would ultimately lead to impeachment. Because in order to impeach the president, you must have a high crime and a misdemeanor. But to impeach a judge, you just need deviation from good behavior, right? Not only that, the salary of the judges, they are compensated by Congress, which gives them a a degree, a very small one, mind you. I'm not saying that they're controlled because that was part of a check uh, for separation of powers of the judiciary was to have them financially independent. But there still is oversight in the judiciary to make sure that the money being allocated to the judiciary is being spent according to the Constitution and according to its allocations. So this shows once again how political it is. The only time they, they feign oversight is for some political points you look at where Ka- they don't have the the authority right. you look at, you look at the circus with Kavanaugh mm-hmm. you know you look at this stuff with Trump and similar situations if it's on the other side you know they they you don't hear anything from them where so, they have real responsibility again, real authority and a duty to the people yeah. there's complete and utter inaction because these activist judges actually support their political agendas. So political theater, once again. Once again. So be clear to your friends and family members. Congress does not have this authority. It doesn't exist in the Constitution. It doesn't exist at all. We need some kind of congressional Oscars we start handing out for this political theater from Nadler (laughs) and Pelosi and all theirs. God bless you guys. We'll see you next time.